The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Uh, let's see. We actually have a decent amount to talk about. Uh, not all of them are super in-depth topics this week. Uh, we are down to our final two. And I'm sure before the show is over, we will remember to make predictions this week. Um, <laughs> we kind of forgot, but I would have been wrong anyway. Uh, that happened a lot this postseason. At um, least on one of them. I be, yeah, well, I've been wrong the whole time with when it comes to Montreal, and I'm sure other people have as well. I incredibly doubt that anyone starting who filled in a bracket before the playoffs actually got the final two correct. And all of the series in between. I'm not... Except for true Canadians fans. <laughs> no, there's even true Canadians fans, I'm pretty sure, did not get their full brackets correct. <laughs> oh, their full bracket, okay. Yeah. Not even if they filled out 100 brackets with multiple different possibilities. I'm pretty sure it didn't happen. Okay. Um, Where do we want to jump into this week? I don't know. You've got stories all over the place here this week. Uh, do we just start with a recap? Do, Let's I mean, start with the recap and the postmortem uh, on the Islanders and Knights. Uh, now, you were winding me up a teeny tiny bit for um, <laughs> not telling you what it was that I was going to talk about on this show about that I noticed during the, about the Knights during Game 5. I'm curious. Yeah, this this whole thing of you noticed something. What did you notice? Or Well, it was, it was sort of brought home to roost uh, in that game. Um, and because of in, the way minute, that... Which, which game? Game 5. Okay. I had started to notice it earlier. But it really became apparent in that game. So I, you and I have watched a lot of hockey in our lives. We've oh, seen yeah. a lot of Montreal Canadiens teams and a lot of Montreal Canadiens <laughs> games. I think that has something to do with the rivalry that used to be. Yeah. So would you say between, since – since 1995, or if you want to round it off to 2000, just for the sake of amusement. Okay. Would you put this year's Habs team in the top five fastest that you've ever seen? You mean actual speed-wise? No. Yes. They Neither have, would I. They have a couple of they have a couple of youngsters that are are. I I'd say. You know, fast, but percent of the league. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but but overall, this is not this is not a this is not a speed team. Well, no, if you look at the the, look at the average age of it, I mean, you got Shea Weber out there. You've got Corey Perry, Eric Stahl. Yeah. And 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 they've made plenty of comments about Corey Perry's not a fast guy, even during broadcasts. I mean, but yeah, yeah, you've got the average age. I mean, father time slows you down and and. Does other things. So, yeah, no, they're not fast. And yet, for the most part, nearly every game, they outquicked the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, with the exception of a couple of spots here and there, yeah, I would say that they were they were beating them to puck, to loose pucks. They were. They were creating, getting in the way of shots a lot, creating chances. They were blocking a lot of shots and, and 
That's not Here's to say why. that... Okay. Everyone has been saying for four years, the Vegas Golden Knights, they're skilled, they're big, they're fast. They are not fast. They are legitimately not fast. I don't think they're a fast team either. Mark Stone is not a, is not a fast guy. There's no one on that team in the top 20% of the league in speed. Not a single person, not William Carlson, because let's take a look at Riley Smith. Riley Smith couldn't keep up with Bergeron before Bergeron adjusted his skating. Oh, I was not good. (laughs) And yet he doesn't look out of place on that team. In fact, he may be in the top quarter of that team, top third of that team for actual speed. I mean, they have a couple. uh, I would say they have a couple of guys that are fast. But again, like, as you say, top 15, top 10, whatever number you want to pick. No, I do think that William Carlson is a quote-unquote fast skater, but is he in what the top? What they are, <laughs> as a team, is incredibly well-trained and decisive. You never see anyone on this team going the serpentine route through the uh, through the through the through center ice. You never see anyone, you know, uh, popping their skates at ten and two. And doing all sorts of pretty edge work to go around other players. They get the puck. Yes, none of them are Ryan Spooner. Very good. (laughs) They get the puck. They aim at the net. They skate as hard as they can. They might make great passes back and forth. But they are as much straight line hockey players as Milan Lucic from one end of the roster to the other. Um, There's there's no Tyler Sagan's. No. There's no Ryan Spooner's. There's no Brad Marchands. There's no. Um, I don't even know if I'd throw Brad Marchand in that. I think Brad Marchand's more of a. I think I don't think he's a serpentine guy. I think he does it if it's necessary. But Brad Marchand loves to score goals, like legitimately yes. loves to score goals. Yeah. Um, and he knows that his best shot at doing it is from somewhere in close before there's a body between him, and he has the speed to get around most guys. He's. Literally out of the league speed wise compared to the entire Vegas Knights roster. There is no one on that team with the puck who is going to beat him uh, around the net, around the rink. It's just not even close. So you noticed in game five that Vegas isn't fast. I noticed that they get places on average faster than most teams and play more effectively because they appear fast because they already know from one end of the roster to the other, what they're going to do with the puck and what their responsibility is. If they do not have the puck, which speaks to really, really incredibly good coaching. Um, Okay. So uh, is that a result of DeBoer or is that a result of Gallant? Both. I think both are good coaches. And okay. I think both understood what they had in front of them. Um, I mean, uh, in all honesty, I believe that DeBoer did this, the, the smartest thing DeBoer did when he took over and they had, fi- they had fired Gallant and they brought in DeBoer. I think the smart- he did the smartest thing he could, which was to keep the Misfits line together because – Outside of the Raptors line here in Boston, I think that that line has – they have that chemistry, that sense of 
knowing where the other players are on the ice or where they're going to be on the ice. William Carlson doesn't have to look to know that Marcheseau is going to be cutting across from the left side through the slot area. And he knows that Riley Smith is probably going to be a little bit deeper in the corner because that's the game that he's developed since he's gone to Vegas. He wasn't a corners guy here in Boston, but since he's been in Vegas, that's kind of the role he's taken on. They don't, they don't have to look to see where each other are. And that's the sign of a line that has really good chemistry. And I'd put that line. I don't think that they're quite at the level of Bergeron, Pasternak and Marshawn, but I'd say they're in that ilk that that that's where they don't have to. They just know. And that's a result of playing together for four years now. And smartly, I mean, yes, like Cassidy and like uh, Julian before him, when he's needed to break them up, move Pasternak to a different line for additional scoring, whatever. DeBoer's done it where he's moved Carlson onto a different line. But for the most part, you keep those three together. Because you don't have to worry about what they're going to do. They know what to do. Absolutely. Now, you and I watched this series uh, pretty closely. Both of us really like Vegas. Both of us have a lot of players that we actually really like on the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah. where can you find another failure point for for the Vegas Golden Knights that was just plain egregious? Well, aside from scoring enough goals, uh, well, their power play was uh, deficient uh, over the course. I would, of the I would say the power play struggled. Yes. Um, I just didn't I in all the games that I watched they they always seem to be they always seem to be chasing the game and even when they had a lead they didn't feel it's like they didn't feel comfortable with it it, it they they always seem to be chasing they they're pushing I don't know quite how to describe it Yeah uh, I they not getting comfortable with a lead is the best way to keep it for the most part, um, unless you're taking stupid chances. I, I I personally hate the prevent defense in in hockey more than almost anything. As as they say in football, the prevent defense just prevents you from winning. So pretty much. Um, what did it really just come down to Montreal being faster and having a better penalty kill? Watching watching the games, it, it to me it came down to who wanted it more. And it just I I don't know what it is about this Montreal team compared to prior teams, but maybe Shea Weber's feeling his own mortality. Carey Price is feeling his own uh, hockey mortality. Yeah, and you've got a lot of big personalities on that team. Yes, like. like Eric Stahl, I mean, he's not he's not as talkative as a lot of players, but 
his personality shows when he plays the game because he still gets in everyone's face. He still takes stuff from absolutely no one. Corey Perry will probably be throwing a punch with his last breath. Um, Shea Weber, again, physical, playing to win at every point. Carey Price knows this may be his last kick at the can, regardless of how much time is left on his contract. Um, and he's and he's taking million he's, a year. He's taking our argument away from us as to why he deserves the money that you know. Never getting to a Stanley Cup final, and I mean, yes, yeah, still one in what is it, fourteen? As you were saying, one in fourteen years. He's been in the league quite some time at this point. Um, it might not be fourteen, but it's certainly been a lot of years. Um, uh, overall, though, I thought that that was a much more entertaining series than I was expecting. Oh, it was very entertaining. And even when DeBoer swapped from uh, Flurry to Leonard, they, I mean, even in the, even in the clinching game for Montreal, Leonard was still a stalwart. I mean, he was, st- he stood tall on the goal. Yes, Cole Caulfield scored. Yes, he gave up. Yes, they gave up the game winner, but he was still strong in net. It wasn't like, he was giving up six, seven goal. I mean, they were strong in net. I still really like their defense, but yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they went into that thinking, and I can't imagine at that point that they were thinking that this, but to go into that game thinking that, you know, it's Montreal, you know, okay, we can beat them. They're smart enough not to do that at this point, but I don't know what. I mean, Montreal's last useful playoff appearance might actually have been the Bruins cup year. Cause you look at Carey Price's playoff dossier. It's not particularly great. I mean, uh... he's had, I mean, he's having a phenomenal year this year. I mean, he's still got, what is it? A nine, 934 save percentage through 17 games. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing to complain about there. Nope. I think I, I think the power play was. I mean, you look at their top scores, and none of them had. Marchessault had one power play goal. Alex Tuck had one power play goal, and I think that he had nine points in 19 games. But in that he just disappeared in that Montreal. They, they like, I don't know if they focused on taking him out or, or if he just wasn't himself, but Alex Tuck just well, was non Mark Stone was, Mark Stone might as well not have shown up for the games. Mark Stone had eight points in 19 games, but I, I mean, I don't know what he had strictly against. I don't, he had I don't zero remember. points in the series. I was say, I don't remember him scoring against Montreal. Alec Martinez had two power play. Their power play throughout the playoffs was just non-existent. Alec I Martinez. I mean, had they had a power play, I think they win the series. I think if Vegas had a power play, I think they win the series. I, 
think Vegas, I think Vegas, I think that might be their most glaring issue was that they couldn't score on the power play. Even above speed, the lack of a power play, which contributes to all factors of the game, mm-hmm. um, the speed that is, um, yeah, it's it's something they're going to need to look at this summer and going both into the draft and free agency. Um, for the playoffs, for the playoffs, you know, their top three shooting percentages were. I'm guessing they were all around like 9%. No, their highest one was 21.1%. Matthias Yenmark. So he took six shots, eight shots. Uh, he took 19 shots in 16 games <laughs> and he had four goals. Uh, second was Nicholas Roy, Nicholas Wah, who had a 17.4. And third was finally a name that most people would recognize, Mark Stone at 15.6. But your scorers are William Carlson, 11.8. Patches had 11.1. Marcheseau, 11.8. Wow, that's consistency. Uh, Riley Smith, who you would hope that would do something. Mr. Hutton cold. Yep. Mr. Hutton cold. Riley Smith, 7.3% shooting. Ouch. He had three goals in 19 playoff games. I don't know. I think that, I think power play might be something to point to the power play power outage just didn't help them at all. Uh, only one shorty, and that belonged to Mark Stone. Yeah, and that see, was most definitely comes, not this round. And, and there go the EMTs to save it. Well, they're trying to revive him after they're trying to revive Stone after this playoff round. I mean, that nine and a half million dollar a year contract for twenty nine year old is starting to look a little less good. Nine and nine and a half million a year. Nine and a half million a year through the end of the twenty six twenty seven season. Mm-hmm. For a guy who's not fast and will be thirty next May. Uh, by the time well by the time whoever whatever team he's playing for next year hits the second or third round second or third round of the playoffs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's take Stevenson. a look at the uh, other series. The other series, the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New York Islanders. And I'm still not happy with this. We talked about this no well, pre-show. We talked about it again last night. We talked about it ad nauseum. I'm still not a big fan of what they've done with Kucherov. I... But, that's flat out cap evasion and everyone knows it. And I think it's not necessarily difficult to make a modification of the rules or interpretation of the rules that state a player who doesn't play uh, in the entire regular season should either a not be eligible or B have a cap hit uh, applied to the team equivalent to the percent or to the games played in the postseason as a percentage of the regular season total. 
And I think you solved the problem that way. Because they did it with Stamkos the year before. Yeah. And they did it with with Kucherov this year. And it's... I don't know. To me, there's look, clearly a pattern. Good, it's It's good for the game to have multiple cities winning. Whatever we think, dynasties are great. And yes, having having a team hit, or if assuming they manage to do it, win twice in a row, it's going to be great for hockey in Florida and in warm weather spots. Um, that said, yeah, if you're looking at population in the immediate metro area and how many people you might be able to spur into hockey fandom, whether they're five years old or 45 years old as, as the NHL, you have to have been pulling for the New York Islanders. They're going into a new building again next year. Um, as we might've been told once or twice, uh, the last game at the Coliseum has been played again. Um, because we played the last game at the Coliseum like five years ago too, when, they opened up that center in Brooklyn uh-huh. with the terrible sight lines for hockey. Um, yes. But I don't like the way that this was done. I really don't. Uh, I understand that they didn't actually break any rules. No, but, and that's what, and that's what they would argue is that they're not breaking any rules and that's fine. But I really think that, to have a player of Nikita Kucherov's abilities, and I'm not saying that he wasn't hurt. I'm sure he was, and I would never question you. Know, but to have him sit out an entire regular season and then be like, oh, okay, he can come back for the playoffs. No. Yeah, he he was he was practicing with the team for a month before the postseason. A month. There's no part of me willing to believe that he was unable to play in the last two, three, four weeks of the regular season. Zero. Now, as for the actual on-ice product, um, I think that of all the commentary um, available, perhaps the most fascinating is actually from Kerry Frazier. Former NHL uh, official, I think he was head of NHL officiating at one point. I could be wrong on that. This is uh, this is a quote from his Twitter back on June twenty first, eleven thirty something p.m. As routing of New York Islanders was in progress, tonight referees with feel for the temp should move into damage control mode. Two situations could have been averted if only initial cross-check infractions had been called. One might result in in suspension to bar us all. Okay. When, and it's not really just Kerry Frazier. Well, Kerry Frazier was an NHL official, so. He he should know. But when people who who don't normally complain about officiating are complaining about it. People who five years ago, 10 years ago would never have made a public complaint about the NHL officiating mm-hmm. start doing so because, you know, our, our Twitter feeds are filled with a lot of people who are, ne- who are never critical 
of officiating or have not been until the last two seasons. You're losing. You're losing when you start losing your champions as an organization. Mm-hmm. You've lost who you are. Okay. The NHL officiating, for better or for worse, used to be significantly better than the NBA or the NFL. I can't say that it is anymore. I I don't know that it's actually better than the NFL right now. (laughs) Did I watch a huge number of games last year? No, I did not. I watched probably 15, 20 NFL games. That's low for fairly low for me. I think. Go ahead. (laughs) You can tell we're not in the same room, can't you? (laughs) I was just thinking that watching the officiating and the fact that we actually had issues during the regular season of officials accidentally leaving their mics on and hearing what they had to say. As far as makeup calls, and I just wanted to, it was what a Nashville game. We said I just wanted to call the amazing Tim Peel. I just wanted to call the penalty. I mean, it's I understand that there's makeup calls. You understand there's makeup calls. These things happen. They they make a mistake and they try to even it out by giving a call to the other team. It's been it's been done for time longer memorial. than we've been alive. Yes, but. To have it get heard, and now you've got Joe, Joe, average fan, sitting there going, every time there's going to be a, a call, they're going to be questioning whether it's average, whether it's right or wrong, or this. Uh, they missed calls during the Bruins one, where, or, or they made dumb calls where Barzal's cross-checking Krejci three or four times, Crutchy turns around and, and wallops him, and they turn around and they call Crutchy. And that's another thing, is that they always manage to see the retaliation, but the official was standing right there and saw the cross-checks as well. So, who's that, lost? The Krejci one in particular was pretty egregious, because Krejci, back to Barzal, cross-checked five or six times before all he does is block the cross-checks with his own stick. And then the spear that might or might not have been. That was, yeah. And and to be quite honest, depending on the angle you see it from, he doesn't hit him where everybody thinks he hit him. If you um, watch that, if you watch that from an angle that they showed a camera angle that was it from from the, the, the front facing. So you could actually see where the stick was placed when he, quote unquote, speared him and. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It it was. Barzal went. Barzal took advantage of that and went down as soon as he felt the butt end touch his uniform. It, it appeared to be either thigh or stomach without anything more sensitive. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Barzal was on the ice for a comparative two hours. Um, I mean, yes. We've legitimately seen players break bones and get up off the ice faster. So when he when he so when he when you say losing the clubhouse, who's losing which clubhouse? I think that the league as a rule as a whole 
is losing the clubhouse. Okay. Is losing the clubhouse by that meaning the fans who are neutral on officiating, pro league, and even the, and also media who has been neutral on officiating and pro league. That's the last couple of seasons have not been irretrievably bad. Yeah, the last couple of seasons have just not been except <sighs> not even not good. Yeah, I was trying to find a, a, a more verbose way of putting it, but yeah, there's just not good. It, they they they're trending downward instead of upward, and there needs to be some sort of uh, review evaluation. They, I know that they they put the quote unquote best referees in the playoffs, but I, uh, I think that the I think that one of the things they have to do is as much of a philosophical change as possible. They, if they really want to quell some of the diving and play acting yeah, and, and that's the worst part of it is ugh. they have to call the first offense. Yes. Like and I think and I talked about this back before my blog got eaten by the internet. Um, <laughs> I think that a hooking both. call has to actually impede movement. A spear has to actually hit something vital or important. Um, I think that, you know, a slash to the a sw- oh, oh, slash to don't. the hands yeah. has to actually hit the hands and hit it with enough force to move the stick not simply make contact with the gloves. No, um, no, because if you if you put a rule like that in, players are going to keep doing what they do, which is the minute somebody comes across their stick with their with their own, they just drop it and oh, it's a slash. And and it's it's the second worst thing I'm tired of in the NHL is that the minute you touch somebody's stick, they drop it, slashing call is made. It's terrible. And sticks are crap these days. I'm sorry. You watch how many broken sticks we have in the NHL. Uh, composite jobs, to quote Jack Edwards. There's such crap that the minute you come down on a stick with minimal force, they snap and a slash is called. So that's one thing. The other thing that I can't stand, and they do it in the NBA, is the minute they feel contact from a body, they throw their head back. Like they're trying to catch the official's attention. Yeah. And it drives me absolutely nuts. And the minute a player doesn't go down from a supposed slash or a supposed check or L, if a player doesn't go down, even if it is an infraction, they don't get the call because they didn't go down. That's that should not be the that should not be the bar for whether a penalty is called is whether the player goes down or not. Except I'm not for saying you tripping. have to go down or get spun completely around by a hook, but if the stick is only touching your jersey and not and your jersey is not pulled pulled up against your body or the stick isn't indenting no your flesh, that's just stop. Keep it's playing not a the penalty. Game. Keep playing the game. A, a a puck a stick that's reaching around you and manages to push your push your right hand into your left hand. No, that's that's not a slash. No. Um, and, and and I mean, when you listen to commentators and they and they're in awe of 
how many minutes of ice, how many minutes of nonstop play they've had, you know, no whistles. Oh my God. We haven't had a whistle in four minutes of play. That's a good thing. Stop making it sound like it, it shouldn't happen or, oh my God, it's some sort of out of, uh, out of the realm of, of impossibility. We should have a lot of nonstop play whistles. I mean, okay. There are infractions that should be called, but, to call them and stop playing. Okay. No, we should have a lot of uninterrupted ice time and, and, and there should be flow to the game and there should be creativity. It, I mean, you, you listen to Herb Brooks or, or Kurt Russell in the miracle movie where they talk about, he talks about flow and creativity and, and puck movement. And we should have that. Instead, we have guys throwing their head back or dropping their stick and up oh, it's a whistle. No. Uh, it's it's egregious sometimes. Um I agree I, with I think they I, need I think the first overhaul they need to make, the easiest one, well, the easiest one to decide on is to philosophically decide that they're going to start making either first calls and I've called for this before, I, I still don't expect it to happen. <laughs> if you're going to call both an infraction and an embellishment, make the embellishment a double major, a double minor. Well, how many times, how many times have we said, whether it's on Twitter or whether we're on the phone, how many times have we said, um, there was embellishment. If there's embellishment, how can there be a, how can there be a, a trip? Or if there's embellishment, how can there be a slash? I mean, you can make contact with the stick in a way that could theoretically cause injury. But when the player goes down and spends 15 minutes on the ice and gets helped off, and then 30 seconds later is back on the ice, like nothing happened. Yeah. Um, uh, that's definitely embellishment. Mm-hmm. And that's something the league should be taking a look at as well. So should they, should the league be allowed to call penalties? Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? In, in in retrospect, you know, like retro Reactive, retroactively. Yeah. Yes. Should they be allowed to do that? Okay, the guy come back on the ice and oh my goodness, look at that, he's still skating at top speed. All right, we've got an embe- clear embellishment, but we didn't see it when it happened. There's those. Hey, they have the ability to find for spears and hits and whatever else that they don't see that doesn't get called in real time. They they should be able to vet penalize uh for that stuff too okay i'm um, I'm, f- I'm fine with that i'm not disagreeing i'm just asking whether, whether you think they should do it because i think they need to find some way to curb it because there is a lot of embellishment and it just needs to stop penalties need to be penalties not penal- supposed A penalty needs to be an offense that changes the flow of the game or changes the momentum of a play. I think that's the threshold. That should be the threshold. Uh, I'm coming down. I'm coming down left wing. Somebody hooks my hand and pulls my hand off the stick. I lose control of the puck. It's a turnover. Goes back to the other team. That's a hook. Thank you. It, and that's it. Like it, 
it needs to impact the play. That's the first first factor in any penalty. I, I mean, most and pe- most penalties. Uh, we're talking interference, slashing, hooking, um, stuff like high sticks are fairly obvious. Um, stuff like boarding, charging, fairly obvious usually. Um, yeah. One of the things that we didn't talk about while we were going over the nights is honestly one of the most fun stories of the postseason. Um, we've heard a lot of players, including one locally who doesn't have social media and doesn't talk uh, and doesn't read the news or watch the news or anything and has proudly talked about this since he was traded for uh, Razor Raycroft uh, back half a thousand hockey Uh, eons ago um robin leonard did the opposite (laughs) (laughs) when he was inserted into the game uh when he knew he was going to be playing in game four Uh uh-huh he said i watched you guys talk bleep on twitter and yes he's talking about motivation and no he didn't say bleep um he looked at all of the trash talk on Twitter and used it as motivation to get up for the game that I love that. (laughs) Well, I love the fact that he thanked the haters for the motivation. I mean, you read the guy. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, the quote is, not many people know I come to the game four hours early. I get my own bus. I come four hours early. I sat for two hours and watched you guys talk on Twitter on me to get me motivated. It was great just to see all what you guys had to say. I don't care what people think. Thanks for all the nice words today, guys. Appreciate the love. And I, I so love Robin Leonard. And <laughs> what makes this even better is this is a guy who – Three, four years ago, this stuff might have spiraled him into a really unhealthy place. Instead, he just uses it to go out and win a a conference final game. After he hadn't been after he hadn't been in a playoff game since, what, the first round? Yeah. And he hadn't played in I don't know what it was. They said like 18 or whatever. 19 days. Yeah. And he just pops back in like nothing's gone wrong, like nothing, you know, he's okay. I played two days ago. I'm good to go. Yeah. No, no, he didn't. But I mean, he, he wins a two, one overtime victory. He gives a, he gives up one goal. I mean, hello. Nine thirteen save percentage. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I love Robin Leonard and to know that he's using, He's using the comments instead of allowing them, yes, to get to him. And he's been outwardly vocal about the fact that he has mental illness. And to be able to use what he sees on social media as a positive and a a, a motivator is just it, – it, it, it's a brilliant thing. And – he comes out, he wins the game. I mean, even in the even in game six when he came out and he lost, they lost. I don't put 
that's I first of all I don't put the overtime goal on him. I mean it was like two on one, turn the puck over, and it was coming back at him. It, it, I don't know whether I put that goal on him either. He played a whale of a game, even in the loss. Yeah, he. Uh, you can't blame him uh, for that loss. The first goal um, even was tough. It was up next to his head, which is where they say if you're going to shoot high, you want to get you want to get it over the shoulder next to like the ear because that's the toughest place for a goalie to stop. Which, if you think about it, yeah, trying to raise that shoulder up and get it, there's nothing you can do to block it unless you, I don't know, stick your head in the way, I guess. But. Yeah, and that's probably not the healthiest thing you can do given the speed that pucks move at. It's also tough to see it when it's going by up that high. Absolutely. Um, where do we want to go next? I don't know. I, I'm still liking Robin Leonard. What is this octagon thing? So we cover all parts of hockey and hockey-related uh, information. The we Sports do. Business Journal uh, had put out a story covering the Sports Business Awards handed out um, – this uh in the over the past week um not surprisingly uh there's not many awards for the nhl uh as a league thank you gary bedman um (laughs) thank you to the nhl ownership yep okay uh but one of the awards went to the octagon sports agency for best representation uh, they represent a lot of a lot of NHL talent. They represent any. They represent across leagues. Um, yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. You know, if there's your team, probably has someone. Uh, whichever sport you're following, probably has someone who is, um, who was representative represented by Octagon. Stephen Car- uh, Steph Curry. Uh-huh. Uh he's one of theirs. They have over 100 uh they did they were involved in athletes for COVID uh 19 relief that involved 190 athletes and raised more than 40 million. Um do they have Pre- any hot do they have any top name hockey players? Carey Price, um uh Halak, uh both are represented oh. David Perron. I thought, um, wait a minute. Halak is represented by Alan Walsh. Is Alan, Alan Walsh, Walsh is Octagon. Oh. So yes. we have, we. I mean, you know how much fun I had with, and, and you know, when Alan Walsh last summer, when they had the, as you like to call them, pretend-offs, I'm starting to come around to that as well. Uh, but Alan Walsh was Halak's biggest fan on Twitter. <laughs> during those during those playoffs, and Mark Andre Fleury is actually and, and Mark Andre Fleury. If you remember the um, the, the the tweet with Mark Andre with the sword going through his back and DeBoer's yeah. name written on it, that was Alan Walsh. For whatever reason, there was no <laughs> mention of that tweet uh, in the awards uh, press releases, and oh, no I, I'm a little bit disappointed by that. Honestly, I wonder why. Um, maybe maybe they were going to uh, have a best uh, Twitter account um, 
a best Twitter account for or social media account for an individual sports representative and just didn't didn't get around to announcing it uh, because honestly, I can't imagine how that tweet doesn't make it, even though it's since been deleted, although I'm sure it was screen capped by a few hundred thousand people. Yeah, quite a few. Alan Walsh. So congratulations to them. Best talent represented representation of the year. I mean, like you said, they have it across all sports. I mean, they mentioned Steph Curry also mentions Antetokounmpo and the contract that they got him. So I guess congratulations are in order. I don't know what else to say. Absolutely. Um, Moving further uh, back into hockey, or at least while we're off the ice anyways, um, JT Brown of late of the Minnesota Wild and others has decided to abandon the locker room for the announce booth. Oh, that'll be Um, fun. He is going to be uh, part of the TV crew for the Seattle Kraken. Um, making him the second. I'm, go ahead. Making him the second. Making him the second black member of their media team, which is uh, pretty interesting since I can't think of any other sports team that even or any other NHL team that even has one. Uh, Brown last played in the NHL in the 1819 season for the Minnesota Wild. Um he played 56 games across his career, 365 games uh, and 41 postseason. Um, last two years were in the Iowa Wild, uh, and then uh, he played in the Swedish uh, Swedish top league as well. Um, undrafted 30 year, yeah, undrafted 30 year olds. Um, not a bad career for someone a not drafted and not. A very big guy. I mean, his official weight at 30 years old was listed as 166 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not a big guy. Uh, wish him well in the Kraken announce booth. And I good luck. Do, I do. I know. I, I do like the way he tweeted out his announcement. I like to formally announce my retirement for professional hockey. No long tear jerking message. Just put it on Twitter. I'd like to formally announce my retirement from hockey. Then you got three rows of dot, dot, dot. And then it says, okay, now I'd like to formally announce that I am coming out of retirement and joining the Seattle Kraken as TV color analyst. Let's go Kraken. I think this he's is... going to do, I think he's going to do just fine. <laughs> uh, honestly, having a fresh from fresh from the game player who's had a little bit of time to distance himself from the NHL, but still knows a lot of players. I mean, let's face it. Patrick Sharp may be the best studio analyst um, for the national networks right now. You think so? When he wants to be. I, th- I mean, you don't think that... Um, who's his buddy there? Why do I... Names, names, names. Ace. Um... Anson Carter. Anson, thank you. Anson Carter. Anson Carter is good, but he also he also gives the league a little bit too much respect. 
You think so? Sometimes, yeah. I was going to say, I thought he was kind of tough on the league, but okay. No, fair enough. I, I He criticizes the league when it's safe to do so. Maybe that's why I'm not noticing. Maybe it's because it's safe to do so, and that way he's not getting himself into any trouble. Um, but, I mean, he's firmly enmeshed in the league. I mean, at least for now. Um, I, but I, 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 I will say I do like Patrick Sharp in the role, you know, alongside Anson. I mean, Patrick Sharp breaks things down, still knows the players. Like you said, I mean, he hasn't been out of the game all that long. What, one year? Uh, I think it's closer to three years for Sharpie. Oh, every now and again, they joke about him coming back out of retirement, which yeah. I don't think is going to happen. But I think he uh, still yeah, gets he played calls. played his last game in 2018, too. Oh, OK. I think he still gets calls. <laughs> I mean, hey, he looks like he's in great shape. So from what? Yeah, from 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 what I've heard in various broadcasts, piecing it together, he, he's still out there skating all the time. It's not like he's totally hung up the skates and he's done with it. And he, apparently, he's still out there skating. Still skates with some of the guys from Chicago, and it, it, it's not like he, as you say, he's looks like he's still in shape. And he's not they, a former athlete. He's a former he's a former NHL player, and that's that's there's kind of a big difference there. Agreed. Yeah, I think JT Brown's going to do just fine. And congratulations to him as the Kraken come together. We can actually segue that into they actually hired somebody finally. Oh, yes, their their coach. Uh, I'm not understanding how Dave Haxtall becomes your choice as first coach for the team. But with all of the play with all of the coaches available. Fresh out of college, fresh out of the out of. Uh, Canadian Major Junior, the USHL, guys who are assistant coaches on teams right now. Uh, I'm told or I heard some I heard a rumor that Joe Sacco interviewed for uh, interviewed They've gone um, back for a second interview, I believe. I mean, I thought I read Patrick that some was floating around out there. Um, Claude Julian. Um, I mean, just, and there are. There are some guys that aren't right for the as as the first head coach. I just don't see what makes Hextall the right guy. There's literally nothing spectacular about him. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. But Dave Hextall, congratulations! First Absolutely. head coach, first head coach of the Seattle Kraken. He's got he's got some interesting. I don't want to say big shoes to fill because I don't, but. As far as expansion franchises go, the last one really kind of screwed you over there, Dave. So you got a lot, you got a, you got a, a, a lot to prove. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe not. Maybe as an expansion franchise, we shouldn't have those kind of expectations. But we do. But we do. Uh, I mean, here. Haxtell has. I think that there's less talent available. I mean. I won't claim that my uh, my speculative draft of the Seattle team is 100% accurate um, because I did put in a couple of players I don't genuinely expect to be exposed. You didn't take Connor Clifton, so. Um, but 
I don't know that this pool is going to be as deep as what was available for the uh, for the for the uh, for Seattle, for Vegas. I yeah, I don't think it's going to be as deep, and I I don't know that I don't know that the ownership group and the, and the front office group is going to be able to pull off the moves that George McPhee was able. I mean, George McPhee is a fabulous GM anyway. I mean, he was in Washington when they drafted Ovi, which was obviously a no brainer, but he still had to weigh Ovi and Malkin. And and I, I don't think that that GM, that front office group is going to be able to use some of the tricks. I think that it's the, it's the scenario of, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know that they're going to be able to use some of the tricks that George did to finagle some of the talent. I mean, Shea Theodore becoming being dangled by Anaheim. Why would yeah. Anaheim even do that? But apparently there was some deal that they made that ended up they had to expose Shea Theodore. And, oh, hey, we got him. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're going to be able to see those kind of moves this time around or not as uh, not as many, uh-huh. not as a, not as effective. Um, yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I'm the Kraken, I might legitimately go into the expansion draft looking not to fill the roster, but to take as many pieces that I have a good idea other general managers want and looking to trade five or six of the players that I draft to other teams for, for additional assets. Mm-hmm. Whether it's additional second round picks over the next three years or first round picks or warm bodies to put on the roster now, because, you know, you can pick up a right shot, right defenseman, uh, from, I don't know, from Minnesota, there's five or ten teams that are going to line up and take and be willing to take that person if you're willing to pass on them. Uh, and yeah. you might you might just get enough picks to fill your system and... Uh, and or fi- or turn those picks and prospects into the right player that you need to fill your second line center uh, spot. That, yeah, I don't know. I just I'm not seeing I'm not seeing and Seattle is I'm fairly comfortable in saying Seattle is not going to replicate what Vegas did in their inaugural season. And that is going to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that there are many people who believe that they're going to. Is it possible that they make a playoff appearance? Yes. Yeah. Because the West is still squishy. Is thank comes. you. Yeah, I was I was trying to be nice, but California has got California is garbage from the north end to the south end. This is uh, true. Uh, I don't know that Arizona is going to make that climb this year. Um, Dallas, so, I don't know what Dallas's issues are. Uh, Dallas I mean, had a lot of injuries this score. season, so it's tough to tell. 
Dallas. I mean, Sagan didn't play a single game last year, which throws you off. But uh, or if he I thought did, he, he played, came back. I just I thought he came back like the last week or two or something, like that, which last. wasn't going to make any difference. <laughs> At that, yeah, well, this is true. Uh, as far as as far as the yeah, they'll make the playoffs. And as far as California goes, yes, I think L.A. might be the first team to come out of that punk. But it's uh, not it's not pretty in the West. While we're talking about things we'd prefer not to uh, and new lows, <laughs> um, the NHL family lost uh, lost a, another member uh, this week. 11 NHL season Stanley Cup with the Canadians in 1986. Um, Tom Curvers was most recently the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Wild. Um, he passed at age 58. Um, diagnosed with lung cancer in January of 2019 um, and put up a long, hard fight. Um uh, 659 games, seven teams, uh, Hobie Baker award, uh, back in 84 when he was with Minnesota Duluth. Um, he was the lightning assistant GM for 08 to 11. Uh, he's, uh, his impact is both measurable and appreciable. And I hope for his family and his friends that all of them had uh, the necessary time to, you know, just make sure he knew they were appreciated or make sure each side knew that they were appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a long, ugly fight. And uh, all I can do is wish them all healing. This is a man who uh, 58 is so young. Um but there's a man who, even in 2019, ran in the uh, 10K Breath of Hope lung, lung run walk in Minnesota. The Breath of Hope Lung Foundation, he was helping to raise cancer awareness because, as he says, he's diagnosed with lung cancer, but he's not a smoker. I mean, this is a guy who played hockey pretty much his whole life. Um and gets diagnosed with lung cancer. And as he says, it's the stigma of it's a smoker's cancer, but 50% of the people that are diagnosed with lung cancer don't smoke. It, it's, it, it affects everyone. And even after being diagnosed with it, he's out there running 10 Ks and, and trying to raise money, raise awareness. He will be missed by his hockey family, his regular family, and we would we send our condolences, prayers, and and thoughts to his family and extended family in the NHL. Uh, let's see, a couple of interesting places to go uh, from here. Um, one of those places is, of course. The GM of the year uh, voting, it ended up going to Lou Lamorello, as most of you know. Um, There's a shock. Which isn't necessarily surprising. I think there's a couple of guys that had to be talked about. 
Well, I don't know how Kyle Dubois, uh, or Kyle Dubas got so high on the list. I mean, it was one first place vote, which I think is too too many, but okay. Wait a minute, did, how many votes did Sweeney get? Sweeney got two third place votes. Wow, that might be. Uh, see. I think that Pierre Dorian is probably uh, probably deserving of more votes than anyone under Bill Guerin on this list. Except for the fact that they didn't make the playoffs. Pierre Dorian is creating a monster up in Ottawa, and if nobody's paying attention, they're yeah. gonna get they're gonna get smacked upside the head, basically. Because okay. <laughs> let me let me make this prediction. If Montreal does not win this year or next year, I think Ottawa at some point in the next two seasons jumps to the top of the list of most likely teams in Canada to win a Stanley Cup. Because it's not Toronto. It's not Edmonton. I like Vancouver. But as far as depth and breadth of young talent, Ottawa's hands down the best. If you're looking at talent 25 and younger, How does there is do- no there is no other young defenseman who competes with uh, Shabbat in Canada. Period. Okay. Uh, no up front, you've got Kachuk. You've got You've got a whole you've got a whole roster. You've got a solid core of great young players. Players who you can legitimately expect five to eight years of really, really good hockey from. Now, if he can turn those if he can turn that into something really good by adding the right veteran pieces. This list is like so backwards. This list is weird. But these are the actual votes. Um, Jeff, Go- Jeff Gordon gets the same number of votes as Don Sweeney. Did you see what Jeff Gordon did in, in before the Rangers unceremoniously Jeff should be fired higher. him? Jeff Gordon should be higher because if he had played in – if the Rangers had played in any other division, they probably make the playoffs. But – so top five only. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, um, Kelly McCrimmon – got 40 total points. Joe Sackick in Colorado, number four, got 41 points. Bill Zito in Florida got 45 points. Yeah. Uh, Mark Bergevin uh, jumped right into second. He actually had the most first-place votes with 13 uh, and 79 total points. And then Lou Lamarillo, um, 104 points with 12 first-place and 13 second-place votes. Because the yeah, Islanders, you'll notice that he, that the same number of second place votes for Lamorello is the same number of first place votes for Bergevin. Yeah, I'm thinking there's a correlation there. Just uh, a thought. I, finishing, I, I could be wrong. I mean, admittedly, this voting is done before the end of the regular season, but, but I understand that. But you still, we joked about we joked about it at. at one point before the playoffs began and probably a couple times during the playoffs that at some point, do we have to actually consider that Mark Bergevin is a good GM? 
<laughs> Whatever GM he is now and has been in the last two or three years, he certainly wasn't in the first four or five years of his career. That's because George. it's really George McPhee in a Mark Bergevin costume. <laughs> I'll go along with that. <laughs> I mean, look at they draft Cole Caulfield. OK, you, you bring in Corey Perry, you bring in uh, you, you bring in you um, Max Pacioretty. You get rid of well, that, that that's a solid one. Although that was last season, I thought. But anyway, so you get rid of patches. You got Alexander Romanoff, the young defenseman. You got Jake Evans, the young man that Nick was Suzuki. hurt. You bring in Nick Suzuki. You bring in Josh Anderson. You bring in Tyler Toffoli. Hey, wait a minute! Isn't Josh Anderson someone I said like five seasons ago the Bruins should have gotten? Yeah, is that he's that big winger from uh, Columbus? Yeah. Yeah. So Bergevin, I, I don't know. I just I have a hard time thinking that Bergevin can make all of these positive moves. I, I'm just like baffled because beyond this, I'm thinking, how is Bergevin at all good? I mean, you traded Sergachev for Jonathan Druan. <laughs> this is the I, same I guy who traded away Sergachev. <laughs> Uh, I, I literally don't know what sort of reversal happened in division years for the, for this to come to pass. And now he's second on the list and probably should have been first. Wow. Okay. Congratulations to Lou Lamorello. Congratulations to Mark Bergevin for coming up second. I, I think maybe he did get, and maybe it was a hose job, maybe a little bit, but. Uh, considering the amount of moves he's made on that team and how that te- yes the play the voting's done before the playoffs so unfortunately you can't say look at what these guys are doing now but Tyler Toffoli was huge Corey Perry yeah Nick Suzuki yeah Josh Anderson yeah I mean he hasn't missed no it, like he <laughs> he legit batted a thousand on trade I can't believe I'm season. saying this but he hasn't missed. Yeah. Eric Stahl, for that matter. I mean, Eric, Eric Stahl, Stahl, he hasn't missed. <laughs> it, it almost doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't make sense. And this is a guy who is right is currently on his third head coach this season because of uh, because he fired one guy and another guy tested positive. Oh, he can come back. He can come back as early as game three. But he still got a third different uh, yeah, bench boss. Luke Richardson, yeah. Who will probably get plucked this offseason. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking if anybody's watching the playoffs and Montreal continues on their, their, torrid, uh, their torrid pace toward Lloyd Stanley, um, I think Luke Richardson might make a couple of lists before next season. <laughs> Wish list, that is. Uh, but, I can't imagine that he doesn't get interviewed for any additional. I still just. Uh, Joel Edmondson was another guy he acquired last Joel year. Joel Edmondson. I, I, September September 12th of 2020 acquired Joel Edmondson. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still. I can't believe the phrase has to come out of my mouth. He hasn't missed. He hasn't. <laughs> 
this is somebody's this is a higher power trying to get even with me that's what it is we can move on now i'm i'm getting over it yeah i'm still staggered by it but yes um yes but the show must go on uh we have a couple of things left on here Uh, we got the ushl team we can close with that if we want uh pick pick your poison hey the the bruins signed a kid uh they actually they signed two guys one was a re-signing and one was a signing out of europe ah uh trent frederick was re-upped for two years um I have the not-so-sneaking suspicion that the bottom six for the Bruins is going to look uh, at least three bodies different uh, when the puck yeah. drops in uh, on next season than it did at the end of this year. Okay, first question. Corrali play, play better on wing or on at center? Absolutely at center. Mm-hmm. Trent Frederick plays better at wing or at center? Um, anytime he's allowed to hit whoever's on the other team. Okay. I don't think there's that big a difference. I mean, the amount of reading that I've done on this and all of the pundits that I've seen, good, bad, or indifferent, all say that he is more comfortable and plays better at center. I mean, we didn't see enough of him this season to actually make that at least I don't think I saw enough of him I didn't see enough to be comfortable saying either way to make that determination right and this contract that he signed two years it is a one way deal so if they send him down he's got to clear waivers which we know he won't Uh, so basically he's on the squad and I agree with you I think the bottom six is going to look different they, I know that they also signed Anton Bleed to a one-year, two-way deal. So, and we discussed this. Uh, and as yes. you said, I don't think that he's a. I don't know that he's going to be an everyday NHLer, unless he goes somewhere like a Buffalo where Bjork went. Buffalo, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> Any of the California teams at this point. I would be inclined to agree. I mean, this is a kid who, and I've said it many times, when he come to dev camp and every shift that he put, every shift and every drill, every time he was on the ice, everything he did, he acted like if he screwed up, he was going to be gone. So he, his effort was 120 percent. I have uh, no complaints about Like every game could be his last. Um, and the gentleman I mentioned out of Europe, uh, Jesper Froden. Uh, I heard the name. I don't know much about him. Yeah. Sweet, uh, Stockholm, Sweden, place of birth, 26 years old, uh, 5'10", 176 pounds. Had a pretty solid season last year um, in the uh, Swedish league um, or in the uh, in the SHL, uh, 40 points with 22 goals. In 52 games, um, his playoffs were <clears throat> somewhat less spectacular, um, although I think he averaged more points per game than Rick Nash in his Boston Bruins appearance. Um, Was he signed to a straight up entry level? Uh, uh, well, it's it's not quite an entry level. It's a uh, um, well, it is an entry level contract. It is. It will be his first year in the NHL, uh, but it's a one year contract. He's a UFA afterwards. 
$842,500 is his cap hit. Interesting. Um, a fascinating number. Uh, I don't know how much of that is bonus. I think the thing. Oh, I think- there's a yeah, there's a bonus in there, which probably will get him a nice. Uh, we'll we'll get him, let him move over and uh, pay his rent and whatever uh, and not have to think about that. I think the issue I have with this one is that he has zero North American experience. Thank you. Uh, I mean, the SHL is. The SHL is uh, less Europe than the rest of Europe, but it's still Europe. Yeah, I'm not going to I I really don't want to compare Europe. I, I I still believe that the physicality in the North American game is is way above what it is in Europe. Even if you want to say Sweden or Finland or whatever, you know, Germany, whoever is more like North I don't think that the physicality in your in all of Europe matches the game. They play in bigger rinks over there. Bigger ice sheets. Absolutely. You come over here, you've got to adapt to a smaller ice sheet. The speed isn't any slower. In fact, it might even be a little bit faster. And the physicality picks it, kicks it up a notch. So I think he's got a little bit of a learning curve here. So signing him to a one year, I don't know what that does, except getting him over here and getting him, say, in, in Providence. I think he'll be in Boston camp when it breaks. Uh, I don't know that he'll be on the opening night roster, but it would not surprise me if he was. Um, Okay. After last week and the week before, with not a few people expressing their angst uh, and disgust over Bergeron not being on the on the ballots for several people, and uh, him not winning the award. Um, and possibly one or two people on this show as well. Um, Andrew Taverna at Andrew Taverna on Twitter uh, put up a poll uh, based on all of the recent talk around the NHL awards. I'd like to know, do you think Patrice Bergeron uh, is a top five to way forward? Um, coming in third was yes. Coming in second was I'm dumb, but still yes, with 14.9% of the vote. And at 84%, the answer, yes, carried the day. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm thinking that not all the answers were represented fairly in this. No, I I, I think they, I think they were all represented fairly. (laughs) (laughs) Because in order to come to the conclusion that Patrice Bergeron is not a top five two-way player in the, or two-way forward in the league, you have to be. Dumb. Go ahead, say it. Yeah, okay. That was a nice way of putting it. You like this is for all of the complaints that I have made about dr- the drafting of Sweeney and the drafting by Chia Pete. This is legitimately going to uh, the 2003 draft having a top five pick. And I don't know, going home with. Yeah, I don't know. Go going home with John Mitchell. (laughs) Fair enough. Fifth round pick played 548 games, 
But if you can't pick at least 30 players on that draft who do you think are John Mitchell, you don't belong anywhere near – you don't even, You shouldn't even be cleaning the executive suite for an NHL team, much less working within. <laughs> I just I, – I, I don't know how you can – and we talked about it last week. Was it last week? Uh, I forget who it was tweeted out that they didn't vote for him. He wasn't even on the ballot. And there were there at least other, eleven ballots. That there are out. other. Yeah, there are other play, two. There are other two way players in the NHL besides Richard Bergeron. I believe was the tweet. It's, it's not about <laughs> if there are others. It's about who is the best. This is like say this is like awarding the the tro- or voting for the trophy for most. Uh, goals to someone who got one goal on an empty net in their third shift ever and never played another game in the NHL. It just doesn't work that way. They're they're a point-per-game player, then. Yes. (laughs) I don't understand it. And and yes, this is funny. Thank you, Andrew. I needed a good laugh today. Uh, Uh, Patrice Bergeron did pick up an award. Uh, He picked up the Messier Award for Leadership. Um, I like the award. I, I find it fascinating that it's awarded by effectively one person. Um, Nobody I, has input into this except Missy, huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I am occasionally of the belief that he does sometimes give it out as a what were you idiots thinking award uh, when someone gets clearly hosed. Did, did Bergeron get clearly hosed? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, I, I like, no, and, and I know we talked to, we must've talked about it. If we didn't Barkov got the award, I'm pretty sure we talked about it last week. Um, I like Alexander Barkov. I don't believe that his game was anywhere near what Patrice was as far as I would have Alexander Barkov play on my team. Yes. In very few situations am I putting him out there in front of Patrice Bergeron at crunch time. Um, In no situations am I putting him out there ahead of Bergeron in crunch time. Uh, Well, I think I might do it if Bergeron appears to be having yet another collapsed lung on the bench. But, uh, again, not many situations. Uh, Another fun tweet this week was from... Uh, Joey Vendetta at Radio Vendetta. Um, if Leafs forever don't run Matt Martin out of town, Nazem Kadri never feels he has to be the policeman, uh, doesn't get suspended, and Maple Leafs get past Bruins. It's that simple. Matt Martin is an incredible weapon when used properly. Just ask New York Islanders fans. Uh, hashtag uh, NHL playoffs 2021. This was on the 19th at 9.57 p.m. What do we think? Uh, I'm thinking that Matt Martin might be a somewhat lower, I don't know about, somewhat lesser version. He's not quite on the level of Tom Wilson, but that's the type, that's the ilk that he is. I think Matt Martin has more talent than we give him credit for because we're so used to seeing him. 
Matt Martin knows who he is. He's a bottom six player whose job is to throw the body and wear out the other side. But he's got talent. He's got the ability to score goals. And I'm not talking about just ones where he happens to be standing in front of the net and the puck hits him. He has the ability to score goals. I don't think he's as talented as Tom Wilson, and I don't think he's as knuckleheaded as Tom Wilson either. I think Matt Martin plays the game smarter. That's not a particularly high bar and not something I disagree with. But I honestly think that Matt Martin has more talent than – and like it says here, Matt Martin is an incredible weapon when used properly. Absolutely. I actually found the other – third of the statement most interesting that he thinks that Nazem Kadri wouldn't feel the need to extend himself quite so far and cross the line. Nazem Kadri got himself and, and, and Nazem Kadri got himself suspended with and without Matt Martin. So this is true. I, although I would, part of that I would be interested is, in seeing if Matt Martin was in the roster uh, on the roster, uh, the other times of his suspensions, um, in, in there. Um, and oh, by the way, I don't think that the Maple Leafs get past the Bruins anyway. Well, that's the other third that I don't think is real, but we, we were going to leave that one alone. Oh, okay. The other two parts of it though, Kadri. now granted with Colorado, he has been better. He still managed to get himself suspended, I think, once while with Colorado. But okay, with Colorado, who is the next least squishy player on that team? The next least squishy player? Yeah. Um, Nikita Zadorov, who's no longer there. Uh. They don't have a whole. I mean, first of all, the top two lines aren't aren't squishy. Ding, ding, ding. I think that Nazem Kadri, for good or ill, Nazem Kadri is on their second line. What am I talking about? I think that Nazem Kadri, for good or ill, views himself as the guy who has to fill the hole that isn't being filled, which, in a lot of ways, speaks to his understanding of hockey, because when he's not being a knucklehead. He's a really good hockey player. Yes. Like, legit. As evidenced by the fact that he had as many points. At one point in this season, he actually had more points than McKinnon before McKinnon got hurt. Um, he, he was actually yeah. on a higher point. He was actually on a higher track points-wise than McKinnon was. Like, somebody <laughs> in an NHL office somewhere needs to be keeping tabs on this guy so that when he retires, they scoop him up into their scouting staff or their player development or uh, their coaching staff because he actually gets it, even though he does some stupid things every once in a while. I don't think he does the stupid things because he's not smart enough to understand that they're wrong. I think he gets carried away with his own enthusiasm sometimes, which is different from how I feel about Tom Wilson. I feel that on the feel that Tom, Tom Wilson is just idiot. a meathead. Meathead, thank you. Um, I like I like meathead as well, but yeah. Uh, and I think that's the big difference between the two players. 
Matt, I think Matt Martin is. Matt Martin, I I, I think that Matt Martin and Nazem Kadri are a better comparison than Matt Martin than either comparing either of the two of them to Tom Wilson. But I think that Matt, I think that Nazem Kadri and Tom Wilson are slightly more talented than Matt Martin. Yes, but as far as what's actually going on between the ears. Then you would compare Martin and Kadri, yeah. Yeah. I think Tom Wilson, there's some sort of short. There's a, a – if you look in the inside a fuse and it's got that little bar that goes across, I think that little bar snaps itself every uh, once in a while. No, more than every once in a while with Tom Wilson's case. Uh, you're saying that the breaker kicks off at irregular uh, intervals. In Tom Wilson's case, yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think Tom Wilson's breaking, forcing the the breaker to go off sometimes. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna dive into draft coverage really, really soon, uh, and because all of the draft guides should start popping out in the next week or two if they're not out already. But the first place I'm looking, uh, and we're looking today. Is that the USHL all at uh, the all USHL teams for 2021? Because oh boy, is there some talent. Uh, yeah, and some talent recognized. Uh, the Boston Bruins had two players recognized, with Jake Schmaltz being on the third uh, on the USHL third team. Um, right behind, uh, he's a Jake Schmaltz. Um, he's a, he was drafted in 2019, mm-hmm. way deep, like seventh round. Uh, but, and, he was, but according to this, he was tied for the league at in 10th in scoring. 53 was, points. Yeah. And second in best on the gamblers. Games. Second best on the gamblers behind. And you were going to mention him. Go ahead. Mason Lowry. That, that was a pretty deep team this year. But Boston Bruins defenseman drafted in the second round their first pick. 58th I, overall in the 2020 draft. I, 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 <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit shocked. I So far, Mason Lowry looks a lot better than I was expecting. You, um, me, um... Many of the any of the draft pundits that said that he was taken way too high. Uh, I still think he was possibly taken high. But this year he was a unit, the only unanimous selection to the first overall team in uh, uh, in the USHL. And oh, by the way, he won Defenseman of the Year award. Uh, That's USHL. That's pretty solid, and it gives me some hope, especially since he's not an undersized defenseman. Um, no, he's not a small boy or a small Some of the other man. guys real quick. Sean Farrell, um, he's a Montreal prospect, uh, first team. Matthew uh, Coronado, this is one to watch. Um, he is the ninth-ranked North American skater by NHL uh, Scouting Central in their final rankings. Um, played uh, on the Chicago Steel and helped with uh, 
and led the league in postseason scoring with 13 points on the way to the Clark Cup. Um, Akira Schmid um, led USHL goaltenders 2.01 goals against average, 921 save percentage in the regular season. This is a New Jersey Devils prospect. Ryan Ufko, uh, first team blue liner, 39 point campaign, ranked 43rd among North American skaters uh, for this year. I suspect he'll probably end up somewhere at the end of the second round, top of the third round. Um, Daniel Gushin, um, let's see, San Jose prospect, third round, um, not bad. The second team, as we get where I think really more interesting for draft purposes. Um, you've got uh, Cole Sillinger. He was the rookie of the year, 46 points in 31 games, uh, 10th ranked North American skater, led USHL rookies with 1.48 points per game and paced first year scorers with 24 goals. Um, this is straight off the USHL website. Um, um, Arton Martillo, one of the best skaters in the USHL, 56 points to lead all rookies. Um, he is 46th ranked North American skater. Josh Stone, yes, the son wow. of Shane. Wait, pause, stop. Um, Cole Sillinger was named Rookie of the Year and only had 46 points, but Arton Martillo had 56 points. And he's a rookie as well. Yes. They actually gave out the Rookie of the Year award and not based it on points alone. Uh, terrifying. Uh, that is terrifying. <laughs> uh, the whole world may collapse, actually. Uh, but, yes, Josh Doan, Shane Doan's son, um, 6'1", 176 pounds. Um, feed mm-hmm. the child, please. Feed him. Um, yeah. Uh, 87th ranked North American skater. That's going to put him most likely even with the name somewhere between the late third and the high fifth. Um, but hey, drafted is drafted. Uh, Paul McWard, fourth uh, among uh, league defensemen in scoring. Um, he was the storm captain. Um, I do not believe he is drafted. Uh, Brent Johnson, 38th among NHL, uh, uh, 30, sorry, 38th among North American skaters in ranking uh, by NHL Central Scouting. Uh, let's see. Rookie Blue Liner, he was second among rookie Blue Liners in scoring. Uh, well, he had 32 points in 47 games. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at for a That is not team. shabby in any way. Uh, go ahead with the rest. Uh, well, to finish up this team, you got Jake Dobes, uh, finished top five in all of the USHL goaltenders. He had a 908 save percentage, which was third. Uh, 2.48 goals against average, a little high, but uh, in the USHL, still pretty good. It went fourth in the league. He also belongs to the Montreal Canadiens, along with the fact that they have. Uh, one of my faves up there in Caden Primo. So it looks like their net might be fairly secure for the uh, near future. Yeah, maybe. 
after that you've got the USA you've got the USHL third team. Um I still haven't figured out if this young man is related or not, but we've got Brennan Boynton. No. He is I not looked. related. You looked it up. Okay. He finished this season third best, two point four three goals against average, another goaltender. Uh and fourth best nine oh one save percentage. So flip the numbers from Jake Dobes above. Uh, he appeared in 46 games, had 26-16 record. It doesn't specify whether he's available or not. It doesn't uh, also one? say how Brennan Boynton, uh, whether he's he played for the Fargo Force, brought them to the Clark Cup final, but it doesn't specify who I he's with. He's an or, overager this year. Um, uh, so if he's not draft eligible, he would be a free agent. And I think somebody needs to give him an invite anyway. Yeah, he's a. And I'm not saying the Bruins. I'm just saying that with numbers like that, you at least have to give him an invite to a dev camp. Uh, you got Henry Thrun, final USH, USHL season with 22 points in 24 games. Wow, that's not bad. 0.92 points per game among defensemen. He belongs to the Ducks. We then move on to Alex Gagne. Henry third Thrun in, is out of Southboro, Mass. By the way, Gagne or Thrun. Thrun. Southboro, Mass. Local boy. Excellent. Playing, Going to be playing for the Ducks at some point. Good luck to Henry. Alex Gagne, third among a talented group of Muskegon Blue Liners. He had... Bedford, New Hampshire. Another local product. Nice. Hmm. Going to how UNH many, this year. How many times have we said that you either want to be North, you either want to be New England or... <laughs> or somewhere in that central north, Michigan, yeah. Minnesota. Okay. So he had 26 points in 53 games as a blue liner for the Muskegon franchise. Uh, three goals, 23 points. Robert Cronin rounded out the league's top 10 in scoring 53 points in 48 games. Uh, second year forward shattered his best numbers, but in 44 games with the Dubuque Fighting Saints last year, he only had eight points. So going from eight to 53 is somewhat of a jump. Maybe. Good, yeah, I suppose. Cameron Berg, 140th ranked North American skater. Doesn't sound very high, but just because you're not ranked high doesn't mean you're a good skater or good hockey player. Finished 2021 season with 58 points in 51 games. How's that for numbers? Second among Muskegon scores, seventh in the league. And finally, we close out with uh, the Bruins prospect, Jake Smaltz. Tenth in the league, as I said before. 19, uh, 19 goals, 34 points, 53, uh, 34 assists, 53 points in 51 games. Played on the team, and only because he was with Bruins' other prospect, Mason Lowry, was he not the number one points getter. So it would be nice to see Jake Schmaltz continue that upward trend as well. I mean, he was a seventh-round pick, as we said earlier. So, If people still remember your name a year after you were drafted as a seventh-rounder, uh, that's that's pretty good. Well, I look forward to seeing him at, at Dev Camp. Hopefully they let us into Dev Camp this year, or have one. I look forward I to seeing both him and Mason Lowry and see, what, and see firsthand what they look like. Um. 
Yes, there's a couple of other interesting prospects that we'll be taking a look at uh, between now and the draft. Um, I will certainly be attacking the draft, uh, the different draft rankings and making copious notes. Um, if you have a favorite draft prospect, uh, let us know. Um, I might see about getting us a guest uh, host between now and the draft uh, just to see what people have to say about various prospects. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, I think we've actually covered everything this week. Um, anything else we want to go over? Um, I just want to say I'm looking forward to the final. I We did not do picks yet, so we might want to do that since we said we would at the beginning of the show. Tampa and six. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I, I can't make myself pick against them if they're reasonably healthy. Vasilevsky has been too good. They're too deep. Um, I think that Montreal, for all of wanting it more than anyone else, um, they're good. They're balanced. They're not as deep. <sighs> I, look, I, I've been in no, I, 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 a long time. No, I'm gonna. I am actually gonna pick Montreal. I, I picked against them in the first three rounds, and maybe they want me to pick against them again. So, but I can't. I, you can't sit there. It, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and inspecting different results. Uh, yes, but we were talking pre-show. Yeah, we were. None of the teams that they played, that Montreal played, were both balanced and deep. And I understand that argument. I do. I, I there is something to be said for intangibles, whether you believe in them or not. And I just wonder if there oh, aren't I, some intangibles that locker room. Shea Weber's been around. I mean, look at the look at the veterans you got in there. You've got Stahl. You've got Perry. Shea Weber, yes, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup. I get it. Even Jeff Petrie. I mean, Jeff Petrie was here in Boston for, what, half a season and could barely make it onto the roster? Yeah. Tyler Tapoli, how many Stanley Cups has he won? Two. Or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Petrie who was here. Uh, I'm thinking of someone else. Who? Because uh, Petrie went from Edmonton to Montreal. Um, there was, anyways. Um, there, there. I like a lot of players on this Montreal team. I really do. Um, I any day of the week, you can you can talk me into uh, a Shea Weber or Brendan Gallagher uh, or Tyler Toffoli. Um, Cole Caulfield, I was hoping the Boston Bruins would grab or one of the other teams that desperately needed that sort of. That's a goal score. That's that's what they were saying about him. It's not just the raw talent. He's got that. He's got a little bit of swagger in him, too. I mean, they were doing the press conference about him and, and Leonard. And he's got a little bit of swagger in him. They said that in when he was drafted, he was the best pure goal scorer of that draft. In a lot of ways, he reminds me a little bit of David Pasternak. He's got that buoyancy. That's the word I'm looking for. 
to him. It's a little tiny bit cocky, but he backs it up. He's is there is there a rookie player who has been more talked about in the last two or three years in the playoffs than Cole Caulfield? No. I think you would have been getting a lot of this talk about Kaprizov if they went further too. Kaprizov didn't talk as much. Oh no, he, and Kaprizov yeah, no, is twenty six versus twenty. I get that. Yeah, no, I'm just you asked about rookies and Kaprizov would have been talked about, but yes, he doesn't. He doesn't have a swagger to him. I don't. At least I don't think so. No, on the ice, he does. And like but, you said, he's twenty six. He's certainly a goal scorer, but yeah, for a 20-year-old like Cole Caulfield to do what he's doing, yeah, he's he's brought attention. He, he he's brought attention, wanted or otherwise, to a team that is is punching way above their fighting weight. Yes, and thanks to him, we all know not only that Messini, uh, Wisconsin exists, but um, that there's not much there. We also know that he and J.J. Watt went to the same university because they keep showing J.J. Watt tweets on NBC. (laughs) J.J. Watt would be an NFL player. I'm well familiar with J.J. Watt. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to say, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, Montreal in seven. It's not, nobody's getting swept here, not in my opinion. Nobody's getting swept. Montreal will win a couple of games. This, game, I have, this, this series is going at least six. I asked on Facebook, um, and yes, I've started using my Facebook account again in the last couple of weeks, so please say hi. Uh, if I haven't gotten to your friend request, uh, well, I didn't use my account for almost a year, and there were something like 70 or 80 requests, and quite a few of them were spam, and I'm trying not to do block and delete the not the obvious or the non-spam people. Um, okay. But yes, I... This series, you know, they say styles make fights. This this has that potential. I mean, you've got Shea Weber and Petrie on one end. You've got um, oh. Hedman and McDonough and Svechnikov on the other. Do Shea Weber and Hedman cancel each other out? You know, I honestly think Weber might win this one simply on raw physical aggression. Um, he's going to make the... Uh, opponents want to choose the other side of the ice and spend more time looking at him than forwards will spend looking at at uh, Hedman. Oh, crazy stat of the day before go. we go. Crazy stat of the day. Would you like to guess who was the number one hitter this season for the Boston Bruins? Um, if it wasn't Trent Frederick... Or I'm going to have to go with Brad Marchand. Nope. With 108 hits, Connor Clifton. Okay, you said crazy stat. That's not crazy. I've seen Connor (laughs) Clifton play. (laughs) Connor Clifton, the number one hitter for the Bruins this season. I mean, it's still only an average of... It's still only an average of two hits a game, which... I think is a little low. I think that oh, that's still a squishy stat that nobody gets right, but they undercount that severely, but he was the number one hitter on the, on the Boston Bruins. 
Just want to throw that out there. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, and we're going to lose him. This is where we leave you. Have a great week. Share the show. Uh, fire over those emails and tweets uh, with your questions. Hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and let us know what you think. Um, you can always share the show from Facebook slash two man um, as well as from our Twitter feeds. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, week. Take care.